second if I could just share a story with you concerning Memorial Day. And uh, a number of years ago when I was teaching junior high school um, in Hawaii, I had an opportunity, we took a group of students, about 30 students, to what we call the mainland when you're in Hawaii. Um, and we went to Washington, D.C. was one of the stops that we went. One of the young men that was in my class, his father had been killed in the Gulf War. He was five years old when his dad was killed. And we had the opportunity to go to Arlington Cemetery and to find his father's grave and to pay respects. And so here I was, myself and another teacher, we had 30 students with us, were walking up and down Arlington Cemetery looking for his father's grave. And it just really, really struck me. Um, he didn't really even have a memory of his father. And I realized as we walked up and down all of those roads, if you've ever been to Arlington, it's, it's uh, something else. But you realize how many in our nation gave everything, gave everything, so that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have. And so... Uh, tomorrow, as we celebrate and memorialize and remember, um, if you ever tell a veteran, if you see a veteran sometimes on Memorial Day and you thank them for their service, they don't really know how to respond to that because it's really not about even us as veterans. It's about those people that gave their life for our country. And we enjoy the same freedoms that they gave their lives for. I have a couple of disclaimers before I begin today. One, why am I not vested? Um, don't worry, this isn't some nouveau thing. I'm not going to start preaching every time not vested, but it is important to the story that I'm going to share to you a little bit later on today. It's important to my story, um, and hopefully you'll understand why I didn't vest today. The second thing is um, the scriptures that I'm going to use today are going to come from both the good news paraphrase and also something called the living Bible. And you've probably all read these. I don't tend to preach from paraphrases. However, this sermon, the notes from this sermon, was delivered about 25 years ago by Pastor Rick Warren, who was one of really the instrumental people in starting something called Celebrate Recovery. And maybe you've heard a little bit about that our church, Church of the Reconciler, is going to begin a Celebrate Recovery ministry. And so hopefully by the time I'm done today, you're going to know what Celebrate Recovery is, how that affects you, or maybe what God wants to do in your life through that, and finally, how you can be a part of it. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. And as we are humbled to remember this Memorial Day weekend, those that have gone before, those who gave everything, and their families, Lord, we remember them, and we thank you for their faithfulness. And Lord, we just, I just pray that as you speak to us through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that Lord, each of us would hear that thing that we need to hear that our lives might be changed from glory to glory, that we might know you more fully, and that we might walk more fully in who we are in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
And so you're probably wondering, okay, recovery. Well, that probably means like alcoholics and drug addicts. You know, I've heard of recovery and so forth. And I would say to you, yes and no. Yes and no. If you look up the word recovery, it's interesting in the Webster's Dictionary, it says to restore to health or to restore to sanity. If you look up the word revival, it says restoration of life, consciousness and vigor. And I would suggest to you that recovery and revival are very, very much related. Amen? One of the things that I love about the Old Testament is when we read about what God is doing in the life of his people Israel, a lot of times that thing or those things that we read apply to our lives as individuals. In Isaiah chapter 57 and the 18th verse, if you kind of are familiar with the book of Isaiah, this large book in the Old Testament, the first half of it is really God telling Israel, here are the consequences of your actions, right? You've sinned, you've not walked by faith, you've done all of these things, and there are consequences. And yet in chapter 57, in the 18th verse we read, I have seen how they acted, but I will heal them. I will lead them and help them, and I will comfort those who mourn. I will offer peace to all near and far. This is a great promise of God to his people. Notice there, there are five parts to the recovery that God wants to do in our lives and that he would do in the life of Israel. First, if you've been hurt, God says, I want to heal you. If you're confused, I want to lead you. If you've ever felt you were helpless to change anything, I want to change you. And if you've ever felt no one understands your problem, I want to comfort you. If you feel anxious and worried and afraid, I want to offer peace to you. The fact is, is life is tough. We live in an imperfect world and we are imperfect people. We're hurt by other people and guess what? We hurt other people. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we read the Apostle Paul proclaiming, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so to some degree, everyone in this room needs recovery. Unless, of course, you've lived a perfect life. Please raise your hand if that's you. But if you haven't lived a perfect life, and if you've ever been hurt, you've ever had a hang-up or a habit, that you'd like to get rid of, you need recovery. The good news is regardless of the problem, you need recovery from whether it's emotional, financial, relational, spiritual, sexual, or whatever. Regardless of what you need recovery for, the steps are always the same. The principles of recovery are found in the Bible. Now back in 1935, a couple of guys formulated what we now call the 12-step program. Probably most of us have heard about that, right? And that's generally what we think about when we think of recovery. They actually began that 
process and that 12-step program based on Scripture. Now, over the years, things were diluted as they kind of tend to be when they're put in the hands of men. But over 20 million Americans will attend some sort of recovery group every week. The basis was and should continue to be upon God's word. Even if you have never been in recovery, some of what I'm going to say will probably sound pretty familiar to you. The first step of recovery always starts with an R. I realized that I'm not God. I admitted I am powerless to control my tendencies to do wrong things, and my life is unmanageable. And that can make itself visible in a whole lot of ways, a lot of ways that we may not associate with recovery, things like anger and rage, overworking, grief, guilt, insecurity, divorce, perfectionism, hurtful relationships, gambling, lying, pornography, procrastination. Ouch. And my favorite, the need to control. Do you ever know the right thing to do, but you don't do it? Something is wrong. But you do it anyway. You know you should be unselfish, but you're selfish instead. You try to control someone or something and found it was uncontrollable. If your answer is yes to any of these questions, welcome to the human race. We're all in need of recovery. And here's the thing. The reason we need recovery is because we're sinners. You see, my sin gets me in all kinds of problems. I do the things that aren't good for me. I do them even when they are self-destructive, and I don't do the, do the things that are good for me. I try to fix problems, and often when I fix them, they are worse than when I started. The 14th proverb states, There is a way that seems right to man, but it ends in death. Even after we become Christians, we still have desires that pull us the wrong way. St. Paul writes in Romans 7.15, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what's right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, but what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself. It's sin inside me that's stronger than I am that makes me do those evil things. Does this sound vaguely familiar to anyone? I end up doing what I don't want to do and end up doing the thing that I know I shouldn't. The first step of recovery is we need to understand the cause of it, then the consequences of the problem, and finally the cure. What is the cause of the problem? The cause of all our problems is this. I want to be God. Now, nobody would generally admit that. We don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to be God. But by our very actions and our attitude, we are actually saying that. Would you like to decide what's right or wrong? You say, I don't want anyone telling me what's right or wrong. I want to decide what's right or wrong. I want to call my own shots. 
I want to make my own rules. I want to put myself at the center of the universe. I want to be my own boss, to live my own way. If it feels good, do it. I don't want anyone telling me what to do with my life. Boy, is that a debate raging in our country right now. That's called playing God. What it says is, I want to control. And the more insecure you are, the more you're driven to control. The more insecure you are, you want to control yourself, to control other people and the environment in which you find yourself. This is man's oldest problem. Adam and Eve had it. God put them in paradise, and they tried to control paradise. God said, it's yours. Enjoy it, except for this one thing. And guess what? That's where they headed. We want to be in control. Whether we admit it or not, we want to play God. By denying our humanity and by trying to control everything for selfish reasons, I want to be at the center of the universe. And control is the real issue. You might ask, well, how do we play God? We play God in several ways. The first way that we play God is we try to control our image. You want to control what other people think of you. And so you put on masks. Because you're concerned that people won't really like what they see. We play games, we wear masks, we pretend, we fake it. We want people to see certain sides of us and we hide other parts. We deny our weaknesses and we deny our feelings. I'm not angry, I'm not upset, I'm not anything. Sadly, this urge can be very strong in the church. Why am I afraid to tell you who I really am? I remember a few years ago, I was at a college graduation, and the speaker that got up to speak, she was White. I mean, she had quite the resume. She was actually in charge of a large medical center in Memphis. And the first advice that she gave to the graduating class was, fake it till you make it. And I thought, wow. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, most of us kind of live there, don't we? Well, the second way that we play God is we try to control other people. Parents try to control kids. Kids try to control parents. Wives try to control husbands. Husbands try to control wives. I wouldn't do that. People try to control other people. We use guilt to control. We use fear. We use praise. Some of us use the silent treatment or anger or rage. Have you ever tried to control someone? The third thing we do when we're playing God is we try to control problems, our problems. We use phrases like, I can handle it. It's not really a problem. I don't need any help. And I certainly don't need counseling. I can quit at any time. I'll work it out on my own way. The more we try to fix our problems, the worse the problem gets. Finally, when we play God, we try to control our pain. Have you ever thought how much time you spend running from pain, trying to avoid it, denying it, escaping it, reducing it, postponing it? People try to postpone it in many ways. 
They try to postpone pain by eating or not eating, by getting drunk or by smoking or by taking drugs or moving in and out of relationships. This next relationship is really what I need to feel really whole and significant. Have you ever been there? Or you develop some kind of compulsive habit to try and control your pain or you become abusive and get angry with the people around you or you get depressed. There are many, many ways that we try and control our pain. Pain comes when we realize in our quietest moments that we are not God and we cannot control everything. In fact, I would say to you that when we play God, it is the antithesis of faith. God has called us to humility, to understand our need for him and our need for his love. That is the first step of recovery. Problem is, there are some really, really negative consequences to this trying to play God. The first one is fear. When we try to control everything, we get afraid. Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. I think that the greatest tool the enemy has is shame. We are afraid someone's going to find out who we really are. So I don't want to let anyone get close to me because if they find out, I fear what they're going to think of me. So I'll fake it. I'll pretend. I'll live a life that is a lie. Secondly, frustration. It's frustrating trying to be the general manager of the universe. Have you ever been to the, um, you know, like the fair and they have those games? I don't play those games because I absolutely cannot win those games. You know, where you're trying to throw a ball and and of course, you always see, I know when I was in high school, you would always see the guy with his girlfriend, and she had these huge berries, and I, I could spend $30, $50, and I'd walk around with this, if anything. And that was if the guy felt sorry for me. One of the games was that one called Whack-A-Mole, where the thing would pop up, and you try to hit it with a hammer. That's life, isn't it? When we're trying to control everything, we get frustrated because it's simply one compulsion after another that pops up. We hit one problem and another one comes up. We whack down one relational conflict and another pops up. It's so frustrating because we could never get them all knocked down. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 21 Paul writes, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Something else is deep within me. The war with my mind that wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin. David said, there was a time when I wouldn't even admit my sin. My dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. If your frustration is a symptom of a deeper problem that you have not dealt with, the root issue is you're not God. You're trying to control everything and it doesn't work. The third thing is fatigue. It's tiring playing God, trying to control everything. 
pretending you've got it all together. Denial takes a whole lot of energy. In the 32nd Psalm, David writes, My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. How many of us know that we can't hide anything from God? And yet we seem to need a reminder quite often. Most people try to hide their pain and run from the pain by keeping busy. We think, I don't like the way I feel when I slow down, right? And I have to think about what's going on. I don't like the sounds that go through my mind when I lay my head back on the pillow at night. I don't like all of these feelings, so I will simply keep busy. We run from pain by constantly being on the go, working ourselves to death. Or we get a hobby, some sport that becomes a compassion, like golf or the newest ones, binge watching. Anybody ever done that? Spent a whole weekend getting through like three seasons of a show, right? Maybe social media, right? Trying to put that best face forward. All the things that we wish that we were. Trying to control our image. Or we can get involved in religious activities. Ouch. Church activities can hide pain. Did you know that? You're hoping you'll be so tired when you lay down your head on the pillow and your fatigue will be so great that you'll simply fall asleep. And if you're in a constant state of fatigue, always worn out, you have to ask yourself, what pain am I running from? What problem do I not want to face up to that motivates and drives me to work and to keep going and going. And finally, playing God brings with it the ultimate reality of failure. When you try to play God, that's one job description you will fail at. Proverbs 28 says, you'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins, confess them, give them up, then God will show mercy. You need to be honest about your weaknesses and your faults and failures. That is the heart of what we are going to begin a week from Tuesday. Our desire and the desire of Celebrate Recovery is to help individuals know Christ help them understand that in Christ alone is freedom from the things that drive us. Freedom and healing and health and wholeness in all of our relationships because we have given up on trying to be God. And if we, we have realized our need for God, our need for a Savior, It is a safe place where people, real people, can talk about real problems, real hurts and hang-ups, real habits, and not be blown away by judgment, but that we are a family who walk together through the struggles and celebrate together the victories. There is not a person in this room that has it all together. We're all weak in different areas, and we need each other. 
In fact, we need each other because we become mirrors to reveal each other's hurts and to help each other. It is from this realization that we begin this journey, the journey towards who we are in Christ. took me a lot of years to really, really connect with this, to really, really understand it. And I wish I could tell you I did it from a young age. I grew up in the church. My mom drugged me to church every Sunday. And I say drugged me because I felt that she was dragging me to church. It wasn't particularly where I wanted to be. You see, my dad didn't have to go. How come I couldn't get a pass? And although I went, I didn't really have much knowledge of Scripture. In fact, one of the first Scriptures that I really kind of memorized and laid hold of was a Scripture that states that God helps those who help themselves. Yet that's not a Scripture at all. But I kind of based my life on that one. And so when I blew it, I really blew it big because I was in charge. That idea and that pattern followed me through much of my adult life. And I hate to tell you this, it followed me even into being ordained. And I began to see that putting on those vestments and that collar, sometimes they were simply me putting on a mask so that you might think that I was holy and I wasn't, I was broken. It was in denial. And I went to conferences, and I thought certainly when I was ordained, that would fix things. My compulsive behaviors would end. My trying to control other people and circumstances, I would finally be broken of that, and I wasn't. And I went to conferences and got prayer. And the Holy Spirit did some incredible things in my heart and in my life, but it wasn't until I came to the point where I realized that I needed my brothers and sisters, that God puts us in relationship with other people that we might walk out the reality of who we are in Christ. You might say, my problem's not that bad. (laughs) That's called denial. How bad does it have to get before you admit you need some help? How bad does that hurt, that relationship, that pain, that problem, that memory have to get before you admit that you need another human being? Unfortunately, it is human behavior, human nature, that we never change until our pain becomes greater than the fear of change. We don't want to see the light. We change when we feel the heat and the marriage begins to fall apart or the kids start going off the wrong way or you get that phone call in the middle of the night. And all along, Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. One man said, it happened to me when the acid of my fame Pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. God whispers to us in the pleasures, and as C.S. Lewis once wrote, 
God, pain is God's megaphone. Let it motivate you to get help. To face the issues that you've been maybe ignoring 10, 20, maybe 30 years. You might say, that's fine, but I can solve my problems. This is for somebody else. That's also denial. Unless you've had a perfect life, there's some things you need to deal with. This denial is as old as Adam and Eve. Sometimes I talk to people, have you told God about your hurt, your habit, your hang-up? Oh, no. I don't want him to know about it. I've been there. The reality of it is, each and every one of us, and we know this, for all of us that are in Christ, we know this, each and every one of us had to come to a place in our life where we realized we were powerless. That's not just a recovery word, right? We had to come to the realization of our brokenness and surrender to his love. So what's the cure? The first step on that road to recovery is the realization that we're powerless. The Bible states that in admitting our weaknesses, we find strength. Wow, that's a different concept, certainly than the world we live in. This is not a popular idea in a self-sufficient American culture, which says raise yourself up by your own bootstraps. Don't depend on anyone else. Do the Lone Ranger thing. But this is essential first step of being healed, admitting that you are powerless to do it on your own. You need Christ and you need other people. Admitting that I am not God means I recognize three important facts of life. And maturity comes when we recognize that. The first one, I admitted that I am powerless to change my past. It hurt. I still remember it. But all the resentment in the world cannot and will not change it. I'm powerless to change my past. Secondly, I admitted I am powerless to control other people. I try. I like to manipulate them. I use all kinds of little gimmicks, but it doesn't work. And I'll tell you, the more adult children I have, the more I catch myself doing this one. And the more I realize it does not work. I cannot control other people. And finally, I admit that I am powerless to cope with my own harmful habits, behaviors, and actions. Good intentions are not enough. How many times have you tried and failed? Willpower isn't enough. You need something more than yourself. You need God because you were made to need Him. In James chapter 4, verse 6, we read, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace is the power to change. Grace is is the power that God gives to change us. And for us to recover from hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and all of the hassles in life, we need God's grace. How do you get it, you might ask? It always begins with humility. Let me ask you, what needs to change in your life? What hurt, habit, or hang-up have you been trying to ignore? For most of us, this is the hardest step. It is the hardest step 
because it requires us to let go. It requires us to begin to walk by faith, not by sight. It requires us to say yes to God, not fully knowing what this is going to look like. So you might ask, well, what is Celebrate Recovery? Well, Celebrate Recovery is simply a group of men and women who gather together to walk this journey together. Fifteen of your brothers and sisters in this church have been praying and attending training for the last several months. Not believing that we can fix anybody, but believing because we were broken and we came to a place where we not only realized our need for God, but that he began to heal us and to change our lives. We seek that others might know that freedom. So you might ask, well, what is a celebrate recovery? How is that any different? It's simply a gathering of fellowship and worship. It is a time of teaching and probably most importantly, when we break up into a separate men's and women's group, it is a time of brutal honesty. It is a safe place where you can talk about the things, your failures. It is a place where you can pray for one another. And men, yes, you can even shed a tear if you're so inclined. And so I want to invite you, if you ever want to come check it out, Tuesday night, 6 o'clock. And if you say, hey, I, I'm all for I just want to support it. There are ways that you could support it. The biggest way that you could support it, there's a sign-up list in the Narthex. If you want to sign up to bring a meal, that would be a great blessing because each evening starts with a time of fellowship, a meal together. So I want to encourage you, even if you want to just come check it out some Tuesday night, we'll be there. And we would love to see you. We would love to share with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we're honest, we all try to run our own lives, to do things our own ways. But the reality of it is, is every time we do that, the result is failure. Because if anything, the enemy knows our weaknesses. And so, Lord, I pray that we would lay down those things, that we would be willing to surrender that control, to humble ourselves, to seek your love and your forgiveness and your deliverance that we might no longer live for ourselves, but that we might live for you. In the name of the Father and of the Son.